You can be creative in any industry, in anything that you do, and it's a mindset. So it's being able to be open to new ideas, new trends, that diversity of thought, as we mentioned, being willing to experiment and try things, seeing things through a different lens than people typically do. To me, that's what creativity really is. It doesn't mean you have to invent something new and be insanely innovative. It just means you can look at a lot of things that are out there and say, hey, you know what, that's interesting. Maybe we can use that somehow. I'm Abhijat Sarasworth, and this is Fringe Legal, a collection of conversations with innovators on how to put ideas into practice. Each episode is a discussion with a changemaker who shares their ideas, insights, and lessons from their journey. I firmly believe that marketing and business development are superpowers that are underutilized in law firms. I'm grateful for Dale's time to allow me to look at the role from the ground up. In the episode today, you'll hear about how Dale's role is measured, how to improve collaboration, and the role of creativity in a law firm. We'll also talk about what is the secret source of a successful law firm and so much more. This is part of a broader series I'm working towards in 2022. And if you are part of a marketing or a business development team at a law firm, I would love to speak to you to see how we can make you a part of the next season of Fringe Legal. You can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Oh, and by the way, this is the last episode of the year. Now, this year, I published 21 podcast episodes, wrote tens of thousands of words via the newsletter and, and elsewhere, and you can find it all on fringelegal.com. Have a wonderful, restful end of the year, and happy new year to you all. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dale Miller. Dale, so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Would you mind giving an, our audience an introduction to who you are, what you do, and where you work? Of course. Thank you, Ab. My name is Dale Miller, and I'm a practice development manager at Holland and Knight. I sit in our Chicago office, and I work within our litigation section. Tell us a bit more about your role, and maybe perhaps think of it as a day in the life of Dale. What does that look like? Of course. As I mentioned, I'm in the litigation section. So the practice development managers are divided up across the firm. Most of us are working with people that are not within the same office that where we sit, although some may be. But for me, for example, I'm working with our South Florida litigation group, our Boston litigation group, and labor and employment, which is nationwide. And the role involves being a marketing strategist for our groups and our teams and working very closely with the PGLs, the team readers, the other practice development managers to share best practices and come up with some initiatives to help the group, which involves so many different things. We collaborate with a firm-wide marketing team that provides a lot of resources for us. So we work with them. We have a PR team, for example, we have a large digital team, a communications team, et cetera. And so when we work on things like updating content for our practice groups on the website, we pull together the content, but the actual changes are made by our digital team, for example. We have an idea for 
story that would be PR focused, we work with our PR team. So there's a lot of collaboration across all these other marketing resources. And then some things we do handle individually, although they may be projects that are given to us by the head of litigation. For example, we're right now working on individual attorney business development plans, which is something that's very important to the head of our litigation section. So we work with the attorneys one-on-one for that and also collaborate, of course, with the practice leaders on that. We do so many different kinds of projects. As I mentioned, it could be anything from updating the content on the website, bio updates, chamber submissions, and all sorts of other rankings. RFPs and pitches is a big part of the role, and we collaborate with an RFP team on that. So in some instances, an individual marketer might be the lead marketer for a pitch or an RFP, and they handle everything. In other cases, if they're not the lead, but say, for example, another marketer is the lead and I'm, they need something from labor and employment, then, of course, they're going to come to me and I contribute to that. So we have a lot of collaboration across these various teams for the RFPs and pitches. We're always on the lookout for opportunities to cross-sell. And because the firm is so large, it takes quite a bit of time to get to know the people in other practice groups and other team leaders to understand which attorneys we might be able to match up, for example, to work together or figure out how we can do certain things as a team rather than just individually. We focus on finding industry trends as well, doing some research and bringing that to our practice leaders. And we handle budgets for our groups too. So that's at a high level. There's just so many things we do from small projects to very long-term and very involved projects. Then how do you, and especially because it sounds like quite a complex role with a lot of different layers, a lot of moving parts, how does the firm measure your progress, how do you measure your own progress or your teams? If I were to give you a performance review, what would be some of the perhaps data points or something a bit more anecdotal that I would think around whether you're doing a good job or not? As a lot of marketing, there's not hard metrics around it, except for things like digital. Of course, our digital team does that, how many hits we're getting on various pages on the website, et cetera. But for a role like mine, really the most Important feedback is the feedback from the practice group leaders and individual attorneys that we work with a lot, in addition to, of course, our managers. It's mostly about that because if the practice group leaders and attorneys are happy with you, then the firm is happy with you. And of course, they do always look for things like creativity. Do you bring up ideas for projects and things that can be done that maybe haven't been done before or maybe they have been done, but done not so well and you have a new twist on it. So things like that are important as well, but it's not really about hard metrics. Yep. And we'll come back to creativity for sure later. What? So it sounds like your customers are both internal and external, or is mostly the practice group leaders. Who do you see as your clients, your customers? My customers really are internal. Again, the attorneys and the practice group leaders and all the other people I collaborate with. I don't have much interaction with people outside of the firm, except for things like I might be working on an ad for a publication and I have to connect with that publication for some information. 
not really involved in connecting with clients. We do have client service teams. They might say something very different. I'm not sure the details of their role, but for my role in practice development, it's, it's really the internal clients. And then as we shift to look at both the role as it is now and maybe what it could become in the future, I know you've only been in your role for less than a year, but I guess in that time has there, and it could be nothing by the way, has there been any sort of big or impactful shifts that you've seen? And I ask, especially now, because probably I suspect from the timeline, when you started, it was right at the peak of, you know, the COVID pandemic to now, at least in the US, we're starting to go back to work, into the office and so on. Has there been anything that's changed in that time frame that sticks out to you? There's more of a focus, but this probably was happening before I was at the firm. So I can't really say it's just now, but it seems to me that the firm places a lot of emphasis on pricing and being creative with pricing. We have a whole team that works on that and I do interact with them as well. And they just recently brought on board a chief revenue officer. They never had that before. And of course, not only because of COVID, but I think just in general, the firm is investing a lot more in technology. And we do actually have some people within the firm who are developers, as well as working with people outside. So things like that I've seen occur. And it's just one other thing that that I've observed at Holland and Knight, and I'm not sure if this is a trend everywhere, but they seem very open to the idea of having, as we're working on these business development plans, having the associates be actively involved with that. And a lot of firms, and I think in the past, the attitude has always been that's more thing for partners and the associates have to wait till further on in their career, but they're encouraging them to understand how to do that now and look for opportunities. Yeah, and I think as I go into the series, that's the question I can pose to others as well. Um, perfect. And are there things that are, well, that you think should be done a bit more? Are there trends that you're hearing beyond what you just talked around technology, leveraging associates, maybe the inclusion of CROs and so on? Are there other topics, technologies, items that are just coming up more regularly, whether you're scrolling through LinkedIn and you're starting to see the same thing multiple times or anything like that that sticks, comes to your mind? Sure. You mean just in general, not necessarily within the firm, but trends that I'm noticing yeah. in the industry. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I really pay attention to that a lot, not only trends within legal, but outside of legal as well, because I think there's a lot to be learned from other industries. But the things that I see and hear often is being client centric, which is something that's talked about a lot, but often not really implemented or not really strongly implemented, should I say. And I think that's something I'm not saying that about Holland Denied. I'm just saying in general, I think a lot of firms are struggling with that because they haven't been used to this idea of really focusing on the client more so than focusing on the attorneys themselves. It's always been like the sales pitch, so to speak, has been about uh, the attorneys presenting their achievements and that sort of thing, rather than focusing in a way that more traditional sales would by truly trying to understand the client needs up front, offering more than 
just the legal services, really becoming a trusted business advisor, which takes putting in the time to understand the business and to ask the right questions of their clients. I, I see a lot of things talked about where clients will say, have this longstanding relationship with a particular firm and hardly ever hear from the attorneys. Just the communication isn't there. And again, it's not you know, specific to the firm I'm at now. I'm just saying in general, these are yeah. just trends that I see and hear being talked about a lot now. I look a lot at other industries, as I mentioned, and especially tech industries. And I think that companies like Amazon, who are just so fanatical about being customer-centric and the customer experience, I think the legal industry could learn from companies like that. Uh, I had three relatively quick questions, uh, and then we can dig into some of the topics in a bit more detail. If you think about a successful firm or a successful legal department today, what do you think is the secret sauce that makes them successful today? I said, not so future state, right? If you think about a firm that's doing a good job and certainly could be Holland and Knight, what makes them good? I think it's very much related to what I was speaking about before, which can have to do with technology, but not necessarily. I think that a nice mix of old school and, and new school thought is really good. It's still important just to communicate with people as people and to develop those relationships and to become the trusted business advisor. And I think having that mindset is very helpful for firms to succeed. And it's important, of course, you want to serve your customers, your clients. And I think those that are doing that right now that really put a focus on that have the edge. Other firms, in my opinion, that don't do that as well, they may still be doing okay because they have a big book of business, a lot of great clients already. But I think over time, as those clients have the opportunity to maybe parse out their work among other firms. And if they see other firms are handling that kind of thing better or differently, I'm sure they won't hesitate to change. It's not all about the pricing either, even though creative pricing is important now. I, I think it's really about knowing how to build those trusted relationships. I think that's really important. What does a perfect law firm look like? Is it just a mix of the things that you've already noted. So the ones I underlined was there's a diversity of people's thoughts, ideas there. There is the focus on you know, the human element and then of course, customer and client centricity as a central part of that. So is there anything you would add to that? First of all, I don't think there's perfection. In the future, hopefully, in my opinion, if, if firms take a more agile approach, where they are willing to experiment, try new things, learn, grow through the experimentation instead of being so focused on perfection or realizing, oh, maybe we tried this before once and it didn't work. So maybe you didn't try it in the right way and you need to revisit it or you didn't get enough time or you didn't do some part of the strategy or tactical piece in a new way. So I think being open to that would change the future law firm quite a bit. And I also think that, again, it's just my opinion, but I'm picturing a firm that is much more casual, both in terms of the environment, the way people dress, the way people interact. In other words, legal moving more towards 
where a lot of other industries are already going or have gone. Because again, I sound like a broken record, but it seems to me that the human element is so important and even more so now since COVID, where people just would like to be able to be themselves and have open communication and have that diversity of thought and have different opinions and ideas respected instead of continuing to do things in the way that they've always be do been done, let's say. Yeah. And then I wanted to shift into some of the other points that you had raised before. And I, I guess starting with you, previously you're a founder and you worked in a very, at least to me, it sounds like a very creative field. What do you think is, what do you see as a role of creativity within a law firm? And I ask this because if I speak to lawyers, they probably don't think that they're creative. Majority of them, I'm generalizing, of course. Um, but I think creativity is extremely important. I think it's a differentiator and certainly from, of course, a marketing perspective and even pricing, as you alluded to, how, how does that really play out in a law firm? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And the way I look at it, the way I've always looked at creativity is not just in the typical sense that many people interpret that word. It's if you're, cre you're an artist or you're a musician or you're a filmmaker. You can be creative in any industry, in anything that you do, and it's a mindset. So it's being able to be open to new ideas, new trends, that diversity of thought, as we mentioned, being willing to experiment and try things, seeing things through a different lens than people typically do. To me, that's what creativity really is. It doesn't mean you have to invent something new and be insanely innovative. It just means you can look at a lot of things that are out there and say, hey, you know what? That's interesting. Maybe we can use that somehow. Mm. And having that sort of a, a mindset, which can apply to, again, how to approach the clients. How do you want your copy to read on your marketing material and on the website? Can it be a little bit more friendly, let's say, <laughs> instead of so stiff and formal, yeah. uh, you know, would you be willing to try things like that? And especially with something like cross-selling, I, I think that's a very creative area because you can think about people who you would want to team up together. Mm. Say, for example, myself, I can see a connection between two people that would work for both of them and benefit the firm. Yeah. But if they're not open-minded about it, nothing's going to happen. If they just feel like, no, I'm in my corner over here. This person's over there. I don't really want to share information. I don't really want to work with this person for whatever reason. Then there's going to be some missed opportunities. But if they can be more open-minded about that, then I think there's so much money that probably is being left on the table right now where people are not taking advantage of those kinds of things. Yeah. And as I look at certainly law firm branding and marketing across the industry, if I, if I strip out all of the, the names of attorneys or the law firms, it's sometimes very difficult to differentiate between what is your brand identity really between the yeah. law firm. It's so corporate at times, look, which is okay, but what actually distinguishes you from your competitor or your peer and uh, certainly creativity, collaboration, you talked about is important. And I know that one of your passions, let's call it, is on business development and marketing and you know, certainly personal brand building. 
how do you work with your attorneys in helping them build their own personal brand, whether it's on LinkedIn or elsewhere? Sure. Yes, I am very big on that. And that goes to your point that not only do the firms lack a strong brand across the board, like you said, if you just took away the names and everything, they'd all see the same, but also for the individual attorneys. So I'll look at LinkedIn profiles and either they don't have much of anything on the profile itself. So the messaging isn't there up front. And then they're also not active on the platform. So that's problematic as well. But I have found a lot of the attorneys are really just surprised with the concept that you're supposed to use LinkedIn to develop your personal brand. And that's actually important because, of course, you're competing not only with attorneys within your own firm, but attorneys all over the place who have really good credentials just like you. So what's going to make you stand out? And it becomes one of those key marketing questions, too, of not trying to be all things to all people, that it's good to pick a niche and make yourself stand out that way. That doesn't mean that you're only going to do one thing. Of course, you're going to do other types of work as well. But from for the purpose of marketing and personal branding, it's really good to have one or two areas that you really want to promote. And that's something where you see your strengths, opportunities for yourself, the kind of work that you like to do, et cetera. And a lot of these things are, haven't even been thought about by many attorneys. And I, I agree with you. And it's shocking to me when I speak to the attorneys about this, because I think to some people, and I, I would probably put both of us in that, say in that bucket, a lot of this seems pretty obvious. You go to where your clients are, you're active, you're participating. It's not it's delivering value before you're asking for business. but I, it's not obvious, <laughs> apparently. You, you alluded to earlier, there is a mindset shift that needs to happen. At least that's what I think. And hopefully as firms start thinking and bringing in other professionals from that aren't just lawyers. So they could be a whole host of things. Or maybe they used to be lawyers, they trained as a lawyer once, who knows. But they do other things and have other domain expertise that helps with that breadth of thought. Um, and I guess one of the particular ones is around business development and sales. Uh, and it's fascinating to hear that the firm has a now a chief revenue officer. I think that's not common for sure. Um, how do you see the role of salespeople within a law firm? Because yeah, lawyers don't like that word. They don't like to think what they do is selling. Exactly. And we don't really have a sales team. Uh, we have a client services team. I don't know if they consider themselves to be sales because like I said, know the details of their role, but I think it is great that the firm has brought on a chief revenue officer and a lot of what he's working on are these cross-selling initiatives and opportunities and working closely with pricing to uncover opportunities that have been overlooked. Uh, But I would say in terms of sales, and some firms do have actual salespeople, they may not call them that, but they have people who are operating as salespeople who really actually go out and develop relationships with clients before the attorneys get involved and they find out, is this really a valid lead? And once it becomes a valid lead, then they turn it over to the attorneys. So to your point, I also very much feel that bringing in more people who are not attorneys into various business roles, that the industry can benefit so much. There's been this tendency to feel that anyone at a significant 
role level within a firm has to be an attorney. Why? Because traditionally there's been this attitude that the knowledge of being an attorney, knowing the law is the most important thing. But that's not really the most important thing when you're talking about sales and other areas where business professionals can participate and bring a lot of value. And legal technology firms too. They often, they want to hire former attorneys, the salespeople. And I think, is that really good? I mean, there's the rare attorney who's of that mindset, but I don't think most are. Yeah. And I, it depends on what you're looking to do, because certainly for legal tech companies, oftentimes they go there because it means that the communication gap is less. So if I'm a lawyer and I'm pitching a technology to another lawyer, A is generally a little bit easier to get that meeting because you can say, Hey, look, I've been there. I know what the pain is. And second, when I'm speaking to another lawyer, then I can say the right words. I can speak similar language uh, to them. And that's helpful from a pitching perspective. I get the value of that, but there are so many other skills involved in a successful sale. And which is, unless you have spent time and effort in learning those, you don't know that, right? Unless you speak to enough people who do this, you don't know that there is a discovery phase. There is a, there are, there are nuances around, well, is this a qualified lead? Have I done all of these other things in proving the value and doing the, the actual work required that makes the sales process just feel like a conversation because you are really digging deep into what problem are you looking to solve? And which right. lawyers do, by the way, they do that with their clients, especially the exceptional lawyers. They will get to the bottom of what are you looking to accomplish from a business point of view, from a litigation point of view, whatever it might be. And that's exactly what's required, but you have to shift out of, okay, I'm going to stop being a lawyer for a second and let right. me look at this as a, perhaps a business person or put myself in the client's shoes. Yes, yes, but I agree with you completely. That piece is missing it. And I do agree that I understand why firms or legal tech companies would feel that being an attorney in that situation is helpful. But like you said, you have to have so many other skills. So if they can find attorneys that, that have both, I guess that's the best of all worlds. But I also think that people who aren't attorneys can be very successful in those roles too. One of the things I wanted to think around is you mentioned collaboration quite a lot, and I know you worked in previous roles on founding strategic partnerships. Do you think that there are things that could be done better again across the industry in helping different teams collaborate more openly? Because it sounds like from a lot of what you described as part of your role, you're getting a lot of success from just collaborating across teams, right? Across different, whether it's the practice group leaders, whether it's the, the PR teams or someone in digital and so on, the pricing teams, for example, how do you actually enable that to happen more frequently? Because I, I don't think it's as common as, as certainly it seems to be in your world uh, across most firms. Right. No, it's tough. And, and I'm not saying that all things are going smoothly in that department because I, I don't think they are at any firm. Yeah. It's really hard to do cross-selling the way that law firms are set up right now for the reasons that I said before, because some people just really don't want to work together. They might feel territorial or they just don't think in that way about the cross-selling. 
So it is not easy. I, I don't mean to portray that it's an easy thing to do, but I think it's important. And I think that some of the silos, excuse me, some of the silos need to be broken down in order to get better at that. So I don't know what the magic answer is. But when I talk about strategic partnerships, I've also done things not at Holland tonight, but I've put together partnerships with other other companies that are not law firms. Right. So for example, I put together in my previous law firm an attorney and a principal from an audit firm to go to a conference together. They were on a panel speaking. So it was an opportunity for co-marketing, co-branding for both firms and for both people on a topic, in this case, it was cyber. And of course, the law firm is bringing one expertise and the audit firm is bringing another. So I look at strategic partnerships that way as well. It's not just internal, but there's so much competition out there from the big four and everything else that I think there's opportunities that are missed in that way too. Who else can you team up with outside of the firm that you have the same or similar type of client? Yeah. but you're providing different services. Yeah. And I'm, I am extremely bullish on marketing because done right, it can have quite a significant impact. And you're right, actually, when you can find someone who is working with your client base, or you may be a potential or future client base, that's actually a really good way of getting into a new client or a new account by actually showing expertise through someone that your client already trusts. Yeah, that's awesome. Just in wrapping up, I didn't really ask this question before, but I think if I look at a firm in the future and in my notes, I put in 2050, but it could be five, 10, 15 years in the future. It doesn't matter. Do you think there is a tangible difference in the experience for clients or is it the same thing? And I have my views on that, but I'm curious to hear if you had anything. I'm hopeful that it will be dramatically different because first of all, of course, like in any industry, you have a whole new group of young people coming up. So some of the older attorneys that might be resistant to things that seem strange to them and were not part of their world through their whole career are eventually going to retire and the young people are going to be coming up into those positions. And I would think that it would change to be more focused on being agile and client-centric, et cetera, all the things that we've been talking about. I hope that would be the case because I think, as we spoke about earlier, there can be so much more creativity in the industry, is my view, than there is now if people are open to that. And that will lead to the business being more lucrative in the end. And I think also more enjoyable for the people who are involved because I think some attorneys, you always hear stories of people who leave because they just feel stifled in the role. And the younger people, especially, I think are looking for more meaningful work and also have a different kind of culture at the firm. I think everybody now, again, especially because of having gone through the pandemic, people are saying that's really important, that it's even more important than compensation. I think I saw a recent survey from BTI that I think compensation was number three on the list of important things, was not number one. Do you remember what number one and two were? I'm assuming culture is one of them, but... Gee, I wish... You don't, it's okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was like meaningful work Hmm. was one, the opportunity to learn more 
be coached more, those kinds of things. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I did recording it. Before you go, if you like the show, then I know you'll love the Fringe Legal Newsletter. It's full of interviews, articles, and reports to help legal innovators like yourself learn how to put ideas into practice and find success. You can sign up for free at fringelegal.com. This show was produced for Fringe Legal by Abhijat Saraswath. A special thanks to our guest. And if you enjoyed the conversation, you can help me out by giving this podcast a five-star review and click that follow or subscribe button on your favorite podcast player of choice. Until next time, stay well.